Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with our international reporter, Zofia Zviglinska. Zofia, it is so good to have you here. How are you? Yeah, great. Lovely to be back from Paris and back to scheduled reporting. <laughs> How long were you in Paris? Um, so just two days. I, I had a remarkably short Paris Fashion Week compared to everyone else. Paris <laughs> is always the longer one. Yeah. Well, we're very glad that you went so that you can report back to us with some firsthand experience. Um, this episode, we're going to be talking all about Paris Fashion Week, which, as we said, you just got back from. Um, I've been in New York this whole time, but I have been following uh, a lot of it from afar. Um, and this is our last of the Fashion Month special Week in Review episodes that we've been doing. So um, we did started with New York, then we did London, then last week we did Milan, and then this is our Paris episode, the last one. So next week we'll be back to normal week in review coverage. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk to you about from Paris. Um, one of the big ones is something you wrote a really excellent briefing about, um, which was the presence of uh, Ukrainian designers at Paris Fashion Week um, mm. and kind of diving into um, the, the, the growing fashion industry in Ukraine before the invasion by Russia and then sort of the way those designers have spread out and how Paris has kind of become a little bit of a hub for some of those designers and all the challenges they're facing, um, mm -hmm. trying to keep their businesses together, you know, during a literal war in their home country. So it was such an interesting piece and you did such a good job, you know, talking to all these people. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you learned from the different designers you talked to? Yeah, of course. So I think I talked to five designers in total. All of them were kind of a small kind of minority of the number of designers who came. This is all through the Ukrainian um, fashion showroom, which basically allows brands from Ukraine to come to places like Paris, I think also New York at some point in the next couple of weeks, um, where they're going to be able to showcase the collection, um, you know, look for new buyers because the local market has kind of collapsed. Um, so for a lot of them, that international attention is really important. Um, and it's also just very important for them to look at new kind of buying strategies, um, new merchandising options, um, and new retail locations. Because, you know, as over the course of the last year, the only thing that they can kind of keep alive in Ukraine is production. Um, and a few of them have transitioned on to places like Portugal to do some of their production, but a lot of them really wanted to return back and provide jobs to Ukrainian people who, you know, they, they have a kind of lot of... Um, meaning and association related to their kind of job and what they're doing. Um, and right now it kind of gives them something to live, live for. I think a lot of them said that it wasn't even about the money. It was just good to be part of something and be supported in like a Ukrainian community. So I think it was Bevza who, um, who's like a tailoring brand um, who moved their production back to Ukraine after considering Portugal um, and a lot of their designs are kind of very high in tailoring. There's a lot of specialists in Ukraine who do that kind of work. Um, and I think that a few of the other designers I talked to, they also said that, you know, the level of like craftsmanship, tailoring um, and kind of specialist work that Ukrainian um, kind of factories, but also, you know, specialist ateliers, um, that the level of work that they do is very, very high, and you can't really get that anywhere else. So I think it shows that, you know, on a kind of future scale, if 
this war does end, I think that there is a great kind of potential for Ukraine to become this production um, hub of like high-end um, goods that require that atelier attention um, and something to consider. You know, there's not that many places in Europe where you can produce like that. Um, and I think that those costs are still going up. So Ukraine might be a good option for people who want to, you know, both help the country get back on its feet, but also just like develop new relationships in manufacturing um, in other countries. Yeah, I actually wrote a story a couple of months before the invasion about how Ukraine was sort of a growing uh, manufacturing hub in Europe for exactly the same reasons. Um, like it's 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 close enough to a lot of the big fashion capitals in Europe where the brands are based. It's a lot easier to get to than, say, Cambodia or Vietnam if they're if, or China if they're manufacturing there. Um, but it has some of the manufacturing expertise that some of those other countries have. So um, it's it's a shame then that uh, a lot of that was upended. Um, I, I mean, along with so many other things. And I remember when the when the invasion started, I was um, just in conversation with a, a Ukrainian designer. And then they just stopped emailing me back for a couple of weeks, uh, which was pretty unnerving. And then, but they did eventually get back to me and they were like, so sorry, uh, I had to leave my home and I'm in Poland, but I can still do that interview if you want to do it. And I was like, literally, please just take care of yourself. Make sure you're safe. That that interview is not the most important thing. But she was like, no, I, 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 I want to do it. I, I still want to do the interview. And we kind of talked about similar thing you said, like, obviously fashion and talking about some new collection is not the most important thing in the world, but when that's your life, it kind of is, uh, you know, a comforting thing to feel like you can still do some part of it. It's not totally destroyed. You're not, it's not that your entire identity is refugee or something, you know, you still have some, some of that piece of your, your life. So, and I did, I did the interview and it was great, but I, I remember thinking that it was very, um, yeah, powerful to me that, that idea of, you know, wanting to still have some sense of normalcy. And and even if fashion is maybe not the most important thing, it is an important part of people's lives. So anyway, I just thought your your story was really interesting. Um, is there still is there still um, much of a market in Ukraine, like from a consumer perspective is or, or is kind of all the business, you know, just kind of at a at a standstill? I would say that it's not quite at standstill. I think that in Kiev, especially, like businesses are still carrying on. For a lot of them, it's it's basically just become, you know, a more or a new normal um, for them, a new normal way of life. Um, for a lot of these um, companies, they've got, you know, their, some of their offices are still based in Kiev or in other areas, um, and they're kind of corresponding with them through Zoom. I think a few of the people said that, you know, in some ways the pandemic already prepared them for this because, you know, they got to test it all out. And in this case, they they actually managed to kind of transition relatively smoothly to this like more online um, process, which means that, you know, in some ways they also had a bit of a cushion for, for their own production. They didn't have to halt it too much. Um, but yeah, it's exactly right what you were saying. Like for them, it's it's a very big um, thing to kind of keep carrying on. Um, a lot of the designers I spoke to traveled, you know, over 40 hours just to get to Paris, where, you know, it was a completely different reality for them. I think that it definitely makes them um, value things a lot like differently. Um, I think the the shallowness of the industry is probably not as appealing. And a lot of them talked about kind of 
collaboration and friendships and kind of working together as opposed to kind of seeing each other as competition within the industry, which I think is very, um, very nice to see um, and something that, you know, a lot of the fashion industry could could learn from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, anyway, I, I already complimented you, but that was a great article that you wrote. Um, let's let's move on to a, a, a lighter topic from Paris Fashion Week. I feel like I, I'm not sure how you feel about this one, but I have strong feelings. Did you mm. see the Caperni robot dog I thing did. on the runway? Okay, I'm going to hold my thoughts in. Tell me what you <laughs> thought first, and and then I'll I'll let loose. So I, I would say that it definitely wasn't as powerful as the spray-on dress that they did mm-hmm. um, last time. But I do think it's interesting what they're doing in terms of partnering with Boston Dynamics. Um, the company you know, famously has said that they're not going to be testing the dogs in a military capacity, which I think is the biggest question around their use. Um, however, there are multiple companies who do basically exactly the same thing, who are definitely working with um, various governments around the world um, for military applications. And it kind of brings up that question, like, should fashion be involved with something like this? Are you promoting it in a kind of nice context of, you know, pretty clothes um, when, you know, the realities of this could be a lot, lot bleaker? And I think it ties into, you know, the general subject of war around the world that we're talking about on this episode. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I thought this was going to be a lighter topic, and you're right that this is. We go right back to talking about war. And interestingly, like you said, Boston Dynamics has said multiple times that they do not want their robots to be used for military applications. I was mm. just seeing a Verge article, though, a couple of months ago that their uh, a Boston Dynamics robot dog was used in a French military exercise, and then, mm. but then Boston Dynamics said that they didn't approve that, So and that the French military must have gotten it from some other vendor or something. Anyway, I feel like there's a lot of open questions. Yeah, so that's exactly actually how I felt, which is the spray-on dress I felt felt to me like this organic kind of wow moment. I thought it was very cool and like visually stunning. It felt in line with what was going on. You know, we talked at the time, you couldn't buy the spray-on dress. It was purely just a, a you know, a spectacle kind of thing, but at least it was clothing-related the robot dog, I'm like, what does this have to do with clothes? Like, it, it just felt like a, we have to outdo the spray-on dress. Um, and it felt very kind of, like, dystopian to me. I did not have, it was not a fun, light kind of thing to me. I, I immediately was thinking, that dog is going to be tear-gassing people in a couple of years. I'm I'm certain of it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very kind of weird line right now. I think that fashion is crossing over into, you know, a lot of different... Um, categories with tech where the possibilities of kind of safety in general are being questioned. I think that this is the same conversation that you have with AI and ChatGPT and all of the other services that are kind of showing the potential for, you know, either robot or kind of artificial intelligence use that goes beyond, you know, something as simple as like improving an e-com service. Like this is something that, you know, could um, change potentially the very fabric of how things kind of work in terms of interaction between, you know, content and online content. Um, But also, you know, fashion weeks, like there's been some people from um, London Fashion Week who've like experimented with AI. Um, But what if, for example, you know, you've got a whole kind of tech focused um, collection. And I think that one thing that Caperni is doing is trying to kind of lean into all of those buzzy things that are happening in um, 
tech and fashion right now. Like they said that one of their items from the collection is meant to replicate like the emoji for a handbag um, in the Apple keyboard. So I think it goes beyond like the dog. But I do think that maybe they need to, you know, stay in some ways within their lane and focus more on fashion and the clothes. And I think that one thing that came out of Paris in general is that a lot of people just want to focus on the clothes right now. Um, and I think that might be, again, because of those issues and kind of um, thoughts on safety and how that figures in the whole technology conversation. Yeah, and maybe this this is maybe getting a little too into my own thoughts on technology. I'll keep it brief, but I, I do feel like something I've I've something I feel about a lot of new tech stuff is I feel like people love to jump straight into the most uh, utopian, most world changing, most hype building like kind of interpretations of new tech. And oftentimes, when I see new tech, I immediately think of. Uh, you know, the ways that the worst ways it can be used, like literally the dog, I'm immediately thinking that is going to be, you know, gunning down protesters or something. Um, but even even just something as simple as AI, like, uh, I mean, AI is not simple. I meant like AI image generation or something. I feel like we're going straight to, um, you know, trying to scale this up as fast as possible, grow it as fast as possible. We still haven't even figured out regulation or compensation for training sets. Like there's so much stuff that still needs to kind of be ironed out before I think this should become a big part of a lot of companies' business strategies. And, you know, I feel like a lot of companies are just diving straight past all that and just want to have, you know, and I felt the same way a little bit with NFTs. Like we're still, we had a whole cycle of NFTs going up and then down and we're just now getting some like legal, uh, you know, at least in the US regulation or framework on how to think about what NFTs even are from a legal standpoint. And I'm like, feel like we should have thought of that or worked that out before it became a thing that everyone wanted to do. Anyway, speaking of technology and and AI, did you see any other, like did any other brands at Paris talk about AI stuff, chat GPT, any of that kind of thing? Because like you said, I know it came up at London um, with a couple of the brands that you talked to. Anything in Paris? Um, so the only thing that I found which was like relatively interesting was that the program notes at Miu Miu came with a text by a Korean artist. I'm going to say Kim Hyung Jong, um, who says there's a codependency, code but in the end, machines do not need us. We need them. And I think that that's about the closest I've found to, you know, a tech presence at um uh, at Paris Fashion Week, I know that Dundas worked with um, DressX to do like a virtual AR try-on for one of their pieces, but their kind of collaboration in general has been quite um, ongoing. It's been something that's, you know, taken a good couple of seasons, so it's not anything I would say particularly new um, for Paris Fashion Week specifically. I think, again, just heralding back to what I said before, I think a lot of Paris Fashion Week this this time around was on sellable clothes, basically. Um, and I think that's probably brought on by a lot of companies thinking about their bottom line. Oh, yeah, definitely. And speaking of focusing on the clothes, uh, we also got to talk about the Balenciaga show, which I thought was so interesting and kind of funny to me because we, sh we sort of expected this. Demna had talked about um, wanting to put the focus back on the clothes and pull back from some of the edgy like provocative sort of stuff that he had done in the past. And it was so funny to me how just completely devoid of anything but clothes the show was. It was literally just white background, white floor, and clothes. That's and and I think the only real bit of 
I don't want to say personality. The only the only theatrical touch was you know some some show notes that he had written left out for all the attendees and he and he's done that before. I mean, at, speaking of Ukraine earlier, I remember he he uh, the first show that they did right after the invasion, um, which I think was happening right around Fashion Week in February or Fashion Month. So, um, but I remember he had some really heartfelt, beautiful notes that he had left, um, you know, for for the attendees of the show, talking about the the nature of, you know, war and exile and refugee that I thought was was very thoughtful. And it, it seems like the this show, that was kind of the only touch was, you know, another note from Demo, Demna, but the actual show itself was like almost comically, you know, lacking any sort of edge or anything that could possibly be construed as, you know, anything. And, and I'm certain, I'm certain they are getting so much, you know, directives from on high to be as cautious as possible with everything that they do. Um, it does feel like, I understand why they did it, but it does feel like a little bit of an overcorrection because part of Demna's whole, you know, thing, and part of the reason people love him is these really um, inventive shows um, with, you know, crazy themes and, and really like interesting ideas. And this felt like kind of nothing and and i think there's got to be a middle ground between you know the uh like <laughs> the child abuse uh on one side and then just like a blank void on the other side there's got to be something in between there with a little more personality but not offensive so i don't know what did you think yeah i agree i mean i'm definitely all for designers being humble um but i do think that this was unexpected in a way but also a little bit like disappointing um once that's come up like I do think that you know people were probably expecting something um in terms of that performative aspect and in some ways over the last few seasons I think that the people attending the shows but also you know from like a social media standpoint I think that people almost tend to expect it and I'm not sure if it entirely benefits the brand if they pull back from that completely when they've already kind of started and went into it so much um you know over the course of the last couple of seasons i think you're right finding that perfect little middle ground would have been much better yeah um and one other thing i want to talk to you about is uh did you see the off-white show which i think is the second um i think the second collection with designs from ibrahim kamara did, did you or did you check it out yeah, I really liked what he did. I don't really have much, you know, insightful thoughts other than I just really liked it. It was a little bit less streetwear inspired, but very elegant and classy. And like, I don't know, I I really thought it was cool. Um, and it's good to see Off-White sort of bounce back. Obviously, they took a little bit of a break after Virgil died. Um, and then they had some, similar with Louis Vuitton, they had some leftover things that he had been working on. And now we're getting to see sort of some new stuff uh, with the new team and and new leadership and all that. So um, I really liked it. It's it's cool to see them bouncing back and you know having some really great shows. Yeah, definitely. I think that that whole evening wear vibe was very very present at Paris Fashion Week in general. But specifically, I, I always kind of interested in like set design and what they're doing with show notes. And I think everything was about the moon. Um, and they had this like rugged kind of. Um, red earth floor and all of these like reflective surfaces um where the models walked and i think naomi was part of the runway lineup it, it just made for a very kind of cohesive show and i think it yeah the clothes were particularly kind of elegant compared to you know previous offerings yeah and it's interesting speaking of with balenciaga i, I feel like and, and coperni i feel like there's a fine line for me between 
conceptually cool, interesting, um, you know, inventive show and collection, you know, cohesion. And then something like, again, to not to, you know, rag on Caperni too much, but I just felt like the dog didn't really make sense to me. It just, it, I could feel, I could sense the meetings that had been had about how this is going to go viral or whatever. And it just, it didn't feel like cohesive, but you're, you're right. The, uh, the off-white show felt, uh, like the good kind of theatrical where there's the clothes and then there's stuff that's not the clothes, which is the setting and the, you know, the music and all that, but it felt like it all worked together and it wasn't distracting, but it wasn't just a blank white void with the clothes. You know, it was, it, it was a, to me, a good use of everything else, uh, to highlight the clothing, but, and still be interesting on their own. So anyway, I really liked it. Any other thoughts on Paris Fashion Week, um, before we wrap up anything else that you saw that was interesting or people you talked to? Yeah, I think that just reiterating that focus on evening wear, I think that, you know, recession things are still very much in the kind of minds of brands. Um, and I think that a lot of the focus right now is definitely on that. And it's something that they're just thinking about. Yeah. Well, I think that's all the time we have then. Thank you so much for reporting back to us. Um, I'm glad you had a good time in Paris. Very jealous that you got to go, but honestly, it makes a lot more sense to fly you there. Or did you fly or did you take a train? No, you raced all the way. Best way to get to okay. Paris right now. Well, it's a lot cheaper for us to send you to Paris than it is to send me to Paris. So uh, <laughs> I understand why you get to go and I don't, but maybe next year. Maybe next year. That's all the time we have this week. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this. That really helps us out a lot. Um, also, don't forget to subscribe to The Glossy Podcast because every Wednesday, Jill or I will interview some cool industry insider. And then every Friday, I do the weekend review, either with Jill or with Sophia. But until then, thank you for listening. Thank you.